You're listening to Cannabis Health Radio. Here are your hosts, Ian Jessup and Corey Yelland. Welcome to another episode of Cannabis Health Radio. I'm Ian Jessup. And I'm Corey Yelland. It is estimated that more than 6 million people worldwide suffer from Parkinson's disease. The disease is named after the English doctor James Parkinson, who published the first detailed description in an essay on the shaking palsy in 1817, 200 years ago. Parkinson's disease is a long-term degenerative disorder of the central nervous system, that mainly affects the motor system. The symptoms generally come on slowly over time, and early in the disease, the most obvious are shaking, rigidity, slowness of movement, and difficulty with walking. And joining us today is Ian Frizzell of the United Kingdom. He has Parkinson's and is going to tell us about it and how the use of cannabis helps him. Ian, thanks for doing this. We greatly appreciate it. No worries. Nice to, nice to be here. When did you first notice the symptoms of Parkinson's disease? Well, I first noticed that I had some tremor in my hands. I was working in uh, Amsterdam. This was about 1996. But uh, I had lost my sense of smell a year or so previous to that. And uh, I didn't know uh, that that was an early symptom of Parkinson's, which uh, obviously I do now. Anxiety is also a symptom of PD, and I've suffered uh, with anxiety for many years. So it's really it's difficult to pin down exactly when PD started to make itself known. The sense of smell is interesting because when I was looking up Parkinson's disease, I found that that was one of the early symptoms, and I had no idea that the loss of smell was a symptom, an early symptom of possibly Parkinson's disease. Yeah, I I didn't know that either. Neither did I. And, uh, and I mean, what what gets me is that the, the medical profession should have known and it should have rung some alarms uh, but it never did. So you actually let the doctor know that you had lost your sense of smell? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, oh, interesting. And he he didn't pursue that at all? No, well, I, I, got, um, I, went, I went to see my doctor um, when I got back. When I finished my contract in, in Amsterdam, I went to see my doctor about the, the tremor, really. Uh, and he referred me to um, the neurology department at Southampton Hospital. And uh, they, they gave me all the, the, the now familiar Parkinson's disease tests, you know, the writing and drawing and uh, walking and so on and so forth. And they, they said um, that it definitely wasn't Parkinson's. And they didn't think it was multiple sclerosis. <laughs> and then they actually diagnosed benign essential trauma. And that was, uh, ooh, 97, 98. Well, when were you officially diagnosed with Parkinson's disease? 2011. So it was about 13 years, 13, 14 years before they diagnosed you. That's correct, yeah. Wow. What were your symptoms like be- during that period, say from the late 90s to 2011? How did your symptoms manifest themselves? Ah, uh, right. Well, as I say, I lost my sense of smell. I had, I had this tremor. Um, it's not as straightforward as that, because 
when I got this diagnosis of benign essential tremor, uh, I asked my doctor, you know, what, what does that mean? He said, well, it means you've got a tremor and we don't know what's causing it. Um, and I thought, well, you know, that's a non, non-diagnosis. And I was very concerned, obviously, considering multiple sclerosis and Parkinson's disease. And I wanted to know why they considered those, those illnesses and why they rejected them. And so I started uh, researching on, on the internet, trying to find out what the, the symptoms of these diseases were and how they related to me. And uh, while I was doing so, I came across instances of um, people being misdiagnosed um, with multiple cirrhosis and Parkinson's disease. And what it turned out to be was um, amalgam fillings, the mercury in, in, in the teeth fillings. Um, and that, I, I found that I was ticking all the boxes for uh, amalgam poisoning. So I, I, in fact, went and consulted a, a specialist dentist who agreed that I see I appeared to have uh, typical mercury poisoning symptoms, and I had all of my amalgams removed. In fact, all of my dental metals were removed, all, all, all metals completely. And I had um, a tremor in my right leg at that time, which was making it very difficult for me to drive my car. And following the removal of my amalgams, the, the tremor in my right leg disappeared completely and didn't bother me for, for years. Now, if I roll on to 2010, I've gone through, I've gone through a, a number of years where I've, I've just put up with the symptoms, basically, because I couldn't get anywhere with the medical profession. So I just, I just put up with the symptoms. Um, and in 2010, uh, I had some more dental work done, and the dentist put some metal bridge work in. And within three months, I was shaking. Um, and that, that's the point that I got referred to my to my latest neurologist, who, who diagnosed Parkinson's disease. But I'm convinced that the um, the mercury in, the, in my amalgam fillings and dental metals in general, I have a sensitivity to, which has been a trigger for my Parkinson's disease. Yeah, that is a fascinating story because about 20 years ago, I had all my mercury amalgams removed from my mouth as well in doing a bit of research, discovering the detrimental impact it can have on your health. It was interesting that the the doctor's diagnosis of benign tremor, I mean, you could have diagnosed that yourself. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I've got a tremor. I don't know what it is. In fact, you had diagnosed it yourself. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, were you put on any medications? Well, at the early stage, um, they, they gave me, um, when I first went in 1998, they gave me um, beta blockers. So I think uh, propranolol they gave me, um, which didn't have any effect at all, so I just discontinued that. In 2011, they wanted to put me on to dopamine agonists, which I've heard a lot about. Not you know, not good, good things either. Um, about nasty side effects of, of uh, Parkinson's drugs. So I resisted the temptation to take those for quite some time, and it's only the progression of my tremor that made me feel that I had to do something to try and improve my quality of life. So I tried taking the dopamine agonists and. Um, they didn't have any positive effect whatsoever. It just made me feel rather ill. So I gave up on those for about four, four or five months and uh, stopped taking those. Um, I was then given carbidopa levodopa, which is a traditional 
script for Parkinson's disease, and uh, he told my neurologist just said, "Oh, well, you know, start off at 100 milligrams a dose and uh, increase it until you until you feel some benefit." So I did exactly as he as he requ- requested, and I got up to 600 milligrams per dose oh two times God. a day, uh, with no effect whatsoever apart from side effects. And he, I went back to see him, and he, he almost fell off his seat. And he said, that's a, dose for, that's a dose for someone who's got really advanced Parkinson's disease, you know? Um, so, okay, we, we stopped that as well. And then we took um, trihexafenadil and myropexin or premipexol. And again, no positive effect. Uh, and the trihexafenadil actually caused me low mood, which I've struggled with ever since. Um, when I was being evaluated for my deep brain stimulation operation, I was given a dose of benserazide levodopa. And that had a dramatic effect on my tremor. So I got my neurologist to prescribe that for me. And unfortunately, the side effects were so horrible that it kept me awake for most of the night, and I had to discontinue it after six weeks or so. So it helped your tremors but kept you awake? Oh, God, dreadful, dreadful IBS and uh, acid stomach and heartburn and north, yeah. Uh, yeah, dreadful. You mentioned your deep brain stimulation surgery. Tell us about that. Right. Well, deep brain stimulation um, is where they place two leads deep in the subthalamic nucleus of the brain, and it's connected to um, what they call a neurostimulator or a therapy jet, therapy controller in my chest, a bit like a pacemaker for the brain. And uh, yeah, you have to be uh, go through some quite rigor- rigorous evaluation before they'll uh, do the operation because obviously there's um, a huge cost associated with it, and uh, it's not for everyone. It doesn't it doesn't work for everyone. So if you've got tremor do- tremor dominant, um, they, they, they like you. So I was very tremor do- dominant. So I had a, I had a tick to start off with. Um, they also require you to, to be responsive to um, Parkinson's disease drugs. And I didn't think up until that point that I was. And so I was confidently saying, yeah, yeah, give, give me Berenceratide levodopa. It's not going to have any effect whatsoever. And I was just knocked off my seat when, I, oh, wow, I can I can write my name. <laughs> and uh, so so that was that. They, they offered me the operation and the, the rest of the show is history. I've watched a video of you with your deep brain stimulation device, and it's fascinating to see that when you don't activate the device, your tremors return, and they return quite dramatically. But but when you activate the device, and you just hold uh, this little machine to your chest, and... um, when it activates the device, your tremors subside quite quickly. It's truly remarkable. It is, yeah. It's a fantastic piece of kit. Ian, how often do you um, how often do you use that? It's on twenty four hours a day. Oh, okay. Yeah, the only reason I turn it off is to is to demonstrate what it's like without it. Now, when you do turn it off to demonstrate what it's like without it, what is it like for you when those tremors start to return? Very uncomfortable. Very uncomfortable. Um, it's, it's difficult to, to explain um, because it's not only the, the shaking of my limbs. It's like in my in my head, tension in my head and the muscles of the face. It's very difficult to talk and get words out because every, everything 
everything, every muscle in your body is affected. There's every motor function. Breathing is a motor function. Swallowing is a motor function. Talking is a motor function. They're all affected by this. Is so, there is there pain as well, Ian? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, they talk about muscular weakness and stiffness, and I never really understood it until I had it. Um, but muscular weakness, it's like um, the feeling you would get if you did a marathon without training for it. The next day, how you feel if you try to stand up. <laughs> that That is the pain that you, you get wow. from, from muscular weakness. Now, when you sleep with this device, is it beside your? Is it by by your night table? No, it's it's, it's in my chest. It's implanted in my chest. Oh, you just activate it through this machine. You just activate it. Yeah, I mean, all that. What you see in the video is me using the controller to to switch it on and off. It's um, I'm not sure. I don't think it's Bluetooth, but it's uh, some some similar sort of technology. It's interesting how long uh, the trimmers last. I mean, I, when I watched the video of you today, I was quite astounded to see your trimmers. And even in your right foot, you have a bit of dystonia, don't you? Yeah. And how does that impact your walking? Uh, well, if you imagine crunching your feet, crunching your toes up under your foot and then trying to walk you can imagine for yourself how it would make it difficult um, not only difficult because it throws your balance off but it's very uncomfortable and you you end up with cramping muscle muscle cramping as well so it's not pleasant I think that's all I can say is it's not pleasant you know one of your videos you mentioned that your mother also had or has Parkinson's disease. Yeah, well, she's um, ooh, well, she's eighty-four now. And yeah. She's had it for hello. Yeah, I was just going to ask you: um, Is this something that um, is a genetic? Like, is there a component of that where it can be passed on? Well, they say that there is a is a hereditary link, but um, it's not necessarily hereditary. So it's possible possible that I have um, some sort of inclination towards Parkinson's because of um, my genes, but th- there's no, no proof of that, apparently. They say it's part hereditary and part environmental, but um, I, I suggested that perhaps the environmental part could be mercury in my fillings, but they weren't very keen on that. <laughs> no, I don't imagine they were. <laughs> but your, mo- your mother doesn't have the severe tremors that you do. No, she doesn't. Very mild tremor. Her main her main problem is movement. So she freezes in mid mid step, and she won't be able to move. Um, her balance is really affected. If she didn't have a, a walking frame, she would just fall over. Her voice is all but gone, and she finds communication is a, a real trial for her. Uh, I'm fortunate in that I haven't progressed that far yet. Uh, I mean, I've had. Parkinson's for a long time, and it's progressed very slowly up until recently. And it was only in 2010 when I had the dental work done that it just walked through the roof. So you are, you're 55 now, correct? 56 now. 56 okay. now. So about, uh, I'd say, 17, 18, 19 years ago, you were, you got your first symptoms of Parkinson's. So you were in your late 30s. Yeah, uh, yeah. 
mid-30s, I would would say. But um, I I would say that when I noticed those first symptoms, that I'd had it for some some time. Tell us about uh, your discovery of medical cannabis. Well, uh, it's while I was um, failing to get any relief from the prescription drugs, I was searching around online for uh, some natural tremor relief. I came across... uh, accounts from people with Parkinson's disease who were treating their symptoms successfully with uh, cannabis. Uh, so, well, I, I know someone who, who used it recreationally, and I asked them to get me some, and they did. And I smoked it, and I was just knocked off my feet. Um, the relief that I got from tremor was just incredible. Was it pretty much immediate? Yeah, within 10 or 15 minutes of... of smoking it i was like at rest and you know when you've been shaking and shaking and shaking for so long it was just amazing i can imagine it's like uh, running a marathon then all of a sudden you stop (laughs) it's got to be exhausting just the the whole thing of shaking it is exhausting it is exhausting and um i think that also is something that i never really considered before it happened to me is uh to have a tremor 24 hours a day, well, no, not, not 24 hours, it's all, all of you waking up from the moment you wake up to the moment you fall asleep again. To, to have that, have your muscles going all the time is very, very uncomfortable. When you were taking the cannabis, how long did the relief last for you? Uh, three to four hours. Yeah, about three to four hours, depending on how much I smoked, obviously. Did you ever, or have you ever, taken cannabis oil? I've used CBD oil. I haven't taken cannabis oil, but I've used CBD oil, and um, it does have it does have a beneficial effect for me. But it's not as good as whole weed, so I obviously need some of the THC. Um, but yeah, I mean, C- CBD oil, if it, a good strong CBD oil, can be quite effective, but not as effective as, as cannabis. Do you get high? Yeah. Um, to, not, not wildly high, mm-hmm. but high to a degree. I know, I know I've, I've had a smoke or, or a vape. I, yeah. I can feel that I've had some, you know. And to me, that, that high is a side effect of my medicine. And uh, it's a damn sight nicer side effect than some of the side effects I've been getting off of other prescription stuff. No, no GI <laughs> stuff happening with you with that. Yeah. Well, I think the high also for you with your tremors would be a bit of a relief, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, I'm wondering, uh, you know, Corey and I talk to people around the world who take cannabis oil and has a high THC, specifically one-to-one with cancer. And, Corey, I'm just Mm. wondering if Ian took a high THC cannabis oil, whether that would... Uh, Yeah, I just wonder what the difference would be or even a a one-to-one oil. And that would cancel out a fair bit of the high. Well, might, might I think be... uh, it's very it's very difficult for me to to do that over here in the UK because of its status, illegal status. And you know, we we need a medical marijuana or a medical cannabis program over here in the UK. Um, I've got a, a friend in Canada, in London, Ontario, um, an internet buddy. And he suffers with cluster headaches. And he's just, in the last four days, started with medicinal marijuana. 
and uh, he's had a 70% reduction in pain. Nice. Which is incredible, you know? Yeah. yeah. 70%, wow. Well, we're going to have to try and find a way to get you some. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because I know you live... Yeah, so send it here and I'll try it. <laughs> <laughs> you live in a part of the world, the UK, which is really, really, really backwards when it comes to the use of cannabis, correct? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. yeah. There's no, no, no medical benefit from cannabis at all. That, that's the official line. Which is completely stupid, because, uh, I mean, my doctor, my GP, he knew that I was getting benefit from, from cannabis. I asked him to prescribe me cannabis, and he refused, because it's not licensed for uh, Parkinson's disease. Um, my neurologist, I, I told that I was using cannabis, and he just smiled. And when I was being evaluated for deep brain stimulation. The, I was in a room with about 20 people, which was the whole whole DBS team. You were interviewed by a panel for the operation. And one of them said, um, and what medication are you taking for your for your tremor? And I said, well, I said, no, Parkinson's medication. I said, but I'm smoking cannabis. And you could have heard a pin drop. <laughs> <laughs> there, there was a sea of faces with grins on them, you know? You hippie. They couldn't, they couldn't say anything. <laughs> Some of them probably smoke it themselves. Yeah, absolutely. I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> yeah. And do you uh, smoke cannabis every day? Um, most days I would say I have some. Um, not every day. I don't need it every day anymore. Um, before I had DBS, I would probably have four doses a day. Mm-hmm. Now, perhaps, um, if, I, if I'm feeling like I possibly need some help to get to sleep, I'll, I'll, have, I'll have a little bit in the evening, sort of an hour before I go to bed. But a lot of the time, I don't need that, and so I don't, I don't take it. What was your attitude toward cannabis prior to trying it? Well, I had used it recreationally as a teen, um, so I wasn't worried about it like a lot of people are. Uh, I knew what, what it felt like. I knew how, how, I, how I would feel. Um, but I think that the reason that I stopped smoking it when I stopped was that it stopped me from doing things. Um, just chilled me out too much, you know. But I don't find that such a problem now. It's nice to be chilled out now because... The, the Parkinson's, the feeling of it is that you're highly on edge, you're very strung up, your muscles are all tense. And now to actually get that level of relaxation, being able just to go, oh, yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, a sense of relief. Yeah. In what impact has Parkinson's disease had on your mental state? Well, it's difficult again. It's difficult to say um, because anxiety has always has always been a feature of my life, um, certainly my working life, um, and it's difficult to say whether that was PD or not. But it's certainly um, it's certainly a, a symptom of PD, as is depression, emotional unsteadiness I, I put it I constantly battle against bursting into tears if anything sad happens I can, I can feel like oh, God, I'm, I'm, my, my eyes are welling up you know um, 
Although I haven't suffered with depression, I've suffered with lack of motivation and uh, low mood. So, you know, that that's certainly um, in the Parkinson's disease frame. And I'm pretty sure that if I hadn't discovered cannabis, I, I would have ended my own life. It's, um, something my mother's also alluded to, you know, she, she, she said to me before when I've been around there and she's been having, having a bad day and struggling to, to communicate, and she said, uh, it's not worth going on. And I know how she feels. It, it, Parkinson's is a battle, and it takes it out of you. Ian, does your mother use cannabis? No. No, I, I took the decision that um, her symptoms really wouldn't be benefited by it. She, she doesn't suffer the, the same symptoms as I do, and I, I think she she wouldn't benefit the same way as I do, and she'd be very resistant to trying it because she's of that generation. You know? mm-hmm. When you talk to other Parkinson's disease patients through your videos, are they receptive to your use of cannabis, or are they somewhat skeptical of its benefits? I'd say 99.9% receptive. Very, very little negative, negative feedback. Um, and I've had many, many messages saying that, thanking me for um, making those videos because I've been able to put them in front of their, their elderly relative who, who perhaps was extremely resistant to trying it. And they've seen, seen me going from shaking wreck to relative calm and thought, well, you know, it's worth a try. If it changes someone's life in that way, that's fantastic. No, I totally agree with you, and I think that's one of the reasons why we wanted to do an interview with you is because our purpose here is to educate and motivate people on the medical use of cannabis. If they want to use it recreationally, that's fine, but uh, our focus is specifically on the medical benefits. And the medical benefits of the people that we've interviewed, and you are episode number 172, are just absolutely astounding. I mean, you wouldn't believe some of the the lives that have been saved through the use of cannabis. Well, yeah, I mean, I would, and I have um, gone through some of your your uh, podcasts, and in particular, David Hutchinson told me to have a listen to his. I've had a listen to David. Uh, we love I mean, David. David Hutchinson's story is a remarkable one. Yes. Yeah. And um, heart-rending, heart-rending story. It is, it is. Do you get any pushback uh, yet from the medical profession? Uh, as in? As if for using cannabis? No, I've, I've, given, I've given up telling them. Um, I, I just, I please myself at the moment, you know. Um, I, I see no reason to rub their noses into it in the fact that I'm using cannabis and they can't prescribe it for me. I have had some support from unlikely areas. Um, as you probably noticed, uh, the first video I made, I, I made it because they were discussing in Parliament medicinal cannabis. And uh, I got included for an interview for a documentary, documentary called The God Plant. I was the first person they interviewed for the documentary, and they, they came to my house and they filmed me, and they filmed me taking... Um, vaping some cannabis and they showed my tremor and how it was and they then went on to, to interview um, Baroness Meacher in the House of Lords and uh, she was very pro medicinal cannabis 
and she actually asked them for my contact details. Wow. And she called me up and said, would I be prepared to uh, state pu- publicly my, my use of um, cannabis? And so I said, well, yeah. And I had, uh, following on from that, they interviewed me on Radio 4's Today program and uh, LBC Radio, which is a talk radio station in London. Um, they had me on just to interview me about my, my cannabis use. And now you're interviewing with us. Man, you, 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 you've, you've come full circle. <laughs> uh, we, we're going on and on and up. And up. <laughs> That's right. No, this is a remarkable story, and uh, we're so pleased. Ian, what is your long-term prognosis? Well, we don't really like to think too much about that. But uh, underneath the DBS, uh, my Parkinson's progresses. And I'll probably have to go back to hospital twice a year to have my DBS adjusted to take care of that progression. And that obviously there will become a point at which the DBS can't suppress it any longer. Um, uh, but as I say, I don't really like to think too much about that at the moment. So we'll stay positive and say, um, at the moment, life is, life is good. I have my DBS and I have some cannabis and that's fine. How it will turn out in the end, well, time will tell. Great. Well, we really appreciate you doing this, and uh, we hope, uh, we wish you all the best in the future. Thank you. Well, thank you very much. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you so much, uh, Ian. And if people want to find you um, and watch your videos, what's the best way to do that? On YouTube, if they search for Ian Frizzell, I-A-N-F-R-I-Z-E-L-L, all one word, They'll, they'll find my channel, and uh, there's loads of stuff on there. Um, there's my weekly vlog, which um, is generally about Parkinson's disease, sometimes about cannabis. Um, there's some cannabis Parkinson's disease videos, and there's some DBS videos. Ian, thanks very much again. Thank you very much indeed. Very much appreciated, Ian. Absolute pleasure. And before we go, just a reminder, if you'd like to tell your story about the medical use of cannabis, then send us an email at info at CannabisHealthRadio.com. And if you would like to contribute to Cannabis Health Radio, go to our website and go to the donate page and make a contribution so we can continue bringing you the stories about the medical use of cannabis. Wherever you are in the world, thanks very much for listening. You've been listening to the Cannabis Health Radio podcast. Visit our website, CannabisHealthRadio.com, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Joyce Gerber, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast, The Canna Mom Show. And we are on a mission to enhance the impact women have on this industry as business professionals, healthcare providers, policy advocates, caregivers, moms, by sharing and preserving their stories of love and kindness, wisdom, and hope. I am so grateful to have found my tribe of Canada podcasters right here on PodConnex and look forward to our work of crushing the stigma around cannabis and caregivers and building this new industry together.